Welcome to It Starts Within, a podcast from Platinum Performance, where we'll dive into the health challenges faced by veterinarians and horse owners alike. Join us for inspiring stories about the latest advancements in equine care, treatments, and comebacks. You'll hear interviews with elite competitors, innovative researchers, and the veterinarians that devote their lives to horses and the humans that love them. At Platinum Performance, we know the power of nutrition starts within. Hello, this is Jesse Bengoa, and I'd like to welcome you to the It Starts Within podcast from Platinum Performance. Today's episode, it's a biggie for all of us that own and ride horses of really any discipline, and we are focusing on the equine joint. And I'm joined today by one of our very own Platinum Performance veterinarian, Dr. Tori Maxwell, and she's here to shed some light on the nuances of the equine joint and common joint-related conditions that we encounter with our horses and really how both diet and supplementation can support horses to be both better prepared for their work and also to best heal if an injury or condition should arise. So hi, Dr. Maxwell, and thank you for being here with me. Oh, thank you so much for the invitation. I think we're going to have a great conversation today. Yes, ma'am. I cannot wait. I mean, this, it really doesn't matter, right? Whether you're on top of a cutter, whether you're writing a raining pattern, you're in a dressage ring, um, or you're piloting a show jumper, uh, joint concerns happen. And it's just the fact, Jack, you know, of life when you're talking the equine athlete. So I want to kick off Dr. Maxwell, and let's start by getting a solid picture of the joint. I feel like that's a good way to lay the land and namely what is it? You know, we know that joints connect bone to bone in their very simplest form. Um, but there's three classifications, correct me if I'm wrong, that differentiate them. And those are fibrous, uh, cartilage, please pronounce it for me. Cartilaginous. Cartilaginous. Thank you. And synovial. So can you clue us in as to the characteristics of each fibrous, cartilaginous, and synovial. I think I nailed that. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, clue us, clue <laughs> us in to the nuances of each one so we can really understand the joint in the best possible way. So the really interesting thing is this is really true across all mammals. So when we think about the different types of joints, we know that fibrous joints, there's not many of them, and they're really a rather non-movable joint. And the classic one we think of is that in your skull, where those plates come together, there's actually very small joints that were there were necessary for really being birthed. We know there's cartilaginous joints, which are connected by cartilage and allows some limited movements. And really typical examples of that are used are maybe the pelvic joints or even maybe the vertebral column with the joints that are variably in between there. There's a cartilaginous bridge that puts those two bones together. But as equine enthusiasts, the joint that we really think about the most is the synovial joint. And that's where our two long bones are coming together. I think the ankle is a really good visual because it has a beautiful, long, elegant cannon bone and then a shorter little pasture. And then we have this very mobile hinge in between there. And we know that some of the architecture of that joint is that it has a capsule around it with some hyaluronic acid fluid in the center there. So that's why it's called a synovial joint. Excellent, perfect. Thank you for that description. And today we're really gonna zero in on the synovial joint and thinking specifically of this type of joint, what are some of the things that we need to know about it that, that really makes 
it best to understand how we can both help protect it and also support it if it becomes injured or it develops an issue. Yeah, the, the synovial joint environment is really under a lot of concussive forces in our riding styles that we want to pursue. And as a veterinarian, we really like to start to think of the synovial joint as really an organ, if you will, because it's made up of several different types of tissues. And each one of these tissues is under assault at a various time in a horse's both age or conformation. We know that there's a lining around the outside of where these two bones meet. And I've always used the analogy of a vitamin E capsule. So that skin around a vitamin E is actually the synovial lining or the synovial membrane, which really helps A, with lubrication, but it also has a lot of energy and sugar and metabolites that feed the, the cells inside of the joint environment. The next major player is something called articular cartilage. And cartilage is at the ends of each of those opposing bones. And I try to get people to think of it as a hyperhydrated gel. It's a little bit like sponge that needs to have some water in it. I want it to be squishy like the bottom of a sneaker because when a horse loads that joint, that cartilage compresses and then there are forces that make it rebound back outward. So we have this great pumping action that's happening inside of the joint. The last component of the joint is something called subchondral bone. It wasn't until a few years ago that we really started to add that layer in there, but we know that subchondral bone, sub meaning below, chondral, below the chondrocytes, below the cartilage, plays an intimate role in how our horses perform and when they begin to show us early eloquent signs of potential lameness or some sort of joint pathology. Oh my gosh, that gives us the ultimate crash course in the equine <laughs> joint. So thank you for that. I feel like I could learn anything from you. Um, we'll tackle quantum physics on the next episode. <laughs> Ready um, <laughs> I, you know, I'd imagine that most writers probably share my great fear um, and that's of soft tissue injuries. So mm -hmm. that's beyond the actual joint itself. Those soft tissues are the tendons, the ligaments, the muscles that hold that joint capsule in place and kind of provide it with that stability it needs to function. So we know that if one of these things is compromised or injured, you know, logically it throws off the function of the entire joint. So can you give us a rundown a little bit deeper into those soft tissues and kind of the role that they play? Absolutely. And I think the number one word that I would use is stabilizers. So if I have two long bones that are coming together, we'll go back to the cannon bone and we'll go back to that pastern. I want to have range of motion from front to back. As I'm brushing my horse and I pick up that hoof and I pick out the, the hoof, if you will, I have tons of range of motion from the front to the back, anterior to posterior. But if I think about the ankle, I don't want any movement medial to lateral, right? I don't want an ankle tipping in and tipping out. If we get that, we're gonna start to have stretching or tension or micro tears that happen inside of those tendons and ligaments that will lead to more stabilization, more pain. If I get a joint that is now sort of rocking back and forth instead of just front and backwards, the body is gonna to try to come up with ways to fix that. 
whether it makes a little osteophyte, whether it thickens that particular tendon or ligament. So the joint and the soft tissues don't live in two separate worlds. They are absolutely intimately involved. So your veterinarian has become very proficient over the years in ultrasound because we're learning how to look and evaluate all of these structures that are basically holding together this highly mobile yet very stern joint environment that we're trying to control while we're riding. Excellent. And you know, one aspect that I want to, I want to kind of go back to for just a minute is cartilage. And cartilage, you know, as you mentioned, is such a critical part of joint function. And its job is really to tolerate these repetitive concussive forces um, that any athletic horse is going to be applying to it. It's kind of, it's an amazingly flexible organ, but it also, the downside of it is, is it's not long on self-repair and it's essentially not really equipped to repair itself, you know, when it encounters an injury. So can you kind of take us through that aspect of cartilage and why that is such uh, it's an opportunity, if you will, you know, for the Mm -hmm. aspects of veterinary medicine that include both pharmaceutical and also nutraceutical um, to really assist cartilage. I think you bring up an excellent point, Jesse, and that is I read a lot of articles and it will talk about the joint and repetitive trauma, but it doesn't dive in a little bit deeper. And the two main key components that we as veterinarians are really trying to get our owners to be proactive about is that the natural joint environment does not have a natural blood supply. For all practical terms, it's avascular, a lacking vascular. It does not have its own blood supply. It gets some of that from that subchondral bone, but it's also called a neural and it does not have a great nerve supply. So even though the joint and the cartilage may be going through some deleterious processes, we don't really catch on to it right away because the cartilage is very slow to catch up with pain. It's not really till we start to get a little bit involvement of subchondral bone that I start to see a shortening of the gait or maybe a shortening stride on the turn, if you will. So wanting to be proactive in understanding the subtle changes that are happening in articular cartilage. You know, I think we used to treat when we saw pain and now we understand the rigors that we put these athletes through. So if I'm looking at a young five or six year old prospect that I think I want to have a very illustrious career with, I need to be thinking cartilage at five or six, not at 10 and 11, which is what we used to think. We know much more now histologically how this tissue changes and that taking a proactive and preventative is a hard term, but preventing this cartilage from getting thinner over time, it's paramount to having long, successful careers. No, absolutely. And you can, you can maybe guess that Dr. Maxwell and I come from opposite sides of the aisle in terms of discipline. So Dr. Maxwell was a very accomplished equestrian in her own right uh, in the English world. And I tend to come from the Western world. So as you're even saying five or six in the English world, I'm even thinking, oh man, you know, we've got fraternity horses that were on their backs at two and three, you know, in the Western world. And that's something that we really need to be thinking about from an early age um, is, is really giving these horses the tools that they need to maintain their soundness and their performance and longevity as long as possible. 
um, keep them healthy, you know, as long as we can. And I'll never forget uh, Dr. Wayne McElwraith of Colorado State University, who's, you know, widely regarded as one of the worldwide authority figures in articular cartilage. And I remember him saying, you know, people really have discounted the fact that all it takes is inflammation, period, mm -hmm. you know, for cartilage degradation, that's all it takes is inflammation. So how about that inflammatory component? Let's dive a little deeper there. Sure. And, you know, inflammation is a cascade and it's one that is very important in the body. And the body is constantly making little micro changes to the things that we do to our horses constantly. So a little bit of inflammation is a cell signal that particular, particular part of the body can need some recruiting of certain cells to help with repair. But it's when we get runaway inflammation that the body starts to kind of deleteriously break itself down. And we want to try to get in front of that. So there's a normal amount of inflammation and then there's an excessive amount of inflammation. So we want to overcome that inflammatory response, especially when it's for an extended period of time that leads to that tissue destruction. You know, we can have both acute inflammation, maybe a horse sprains an ankle or something out in the field, to more chronic things, where maybe somebody, uh, a client is purchasing a horse, and maybe this horse has had two or three owners or two or three previous careers. I'm anticipating there's some chronic inflammation in that particular horse. Both can be treated, but need to be addressed just a little bit differently. So which systems are in place and how best to deal with it. I think the repetitive wear and tear that we've seen is more the chronic inflammatory states. Horses that are going to the ring quite a bit, race horses that are making multiple starts, barrel horses that are on the road for weeks on end. That's when I see the most cartilage breakdown in that weight bearing and very fast friction turning that's happening inside of those um, those high motion joints. So I spoke earlier about the fetlock, which is a high range motion joint. But if I even start from the bottom of the foot, the coffin joint is certainly under a lot of twisting forces. The pastern joint, the fetlock joint, the carpus, the stifle, the shoulder. I even have those vertebral columns with their individual joints that we talked about, all of them susceptible to those repetitive things that we like to do with our Highland athletes. So keeping all of those joints in mind, we have that whole horse mindset. I'm not just looking at one joint, I'm looking at all the joints throughout my horses to make sure that those needs are being met. I love that, that whole horse mindset is so pivotal. And you know, you brought up that chronic wear and tear of continual cyclical impact. And you know, it's just one of the five main causes of joint disease, which is the inflammation, the resulting inflammation. Um, but let's, let's expound on those five main causes and touch on them so we can really understand them. So will you outline those for us, if you would? Sure. The first one, four and foremost is inflammation. And I use the classic example. If you're out fixing the fence and you hit yourself with a hammer on the thumb, you're going to have heat, pain, swelling, those classic signs that are part of that inflammatory cascade. Sometimes I can break that with icing. Sometimes I can break that with rest. Sometimes I can break that cycle with a short course of non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, or I can find other components to help arrest that inflammatory process. We also know that the body is always fighting off what's known excessive free radicals. And free radicals, sort of the, 
the classic example that we use is rust. We know that oxygen has two electrons. Those two electrons are trolling about trying to find two other electrons to pair up with. And we know these excess free radicals are especially degradative to the hyaluronic acid. We know that when I put a needle inside of a joint, I want a nice golden viscous colored, very thick fluid. If there's excessive free radicals, we get a thinning of that hyaluronic acid, which tell me it doesn't have a lot of metabolic support for its surrounding tissues, and it's really not doing its viscosity or it's lubricating anymore. The other is something called enzymatic degradation. So when we have processes that are happening throughout the body, we know that enzymes drive a lot of these systems but we know that enzymatic degradation can act a lot like a detergent and sort of wear things down. There are some very common ones that are inside the joint, known as um, uh, matrix metalloproteases, like, like agrokinase, um, hyaluronidase, some others that these enzymes, when they become in high volumes, start sort of eating or digesting some of the tissue that is inside of that particular joint really a hallmark of the inflammatory cascade getting away from me. We talk about repetitive use over and over and over again. Horses have to practice. I always encourage some of my high-end junior riders that have high aspirations that they need to get a practice horse because it's not fair for one horse to put all that educational component. We need to sort of share the wealth here a little bit. So repetitive use of, you know, a horse can only have so many jumps or so many barrels in him. Where do I want to use those as efficiently as I possibly can? I have to be proactive in how I'm going to utilize that horse. And then one that I'm a little bit of a stickler for because I come from a family that did quite a bit of breeding and that's confirmation. In order to have as efficient of a joint and soft tissue structures as possible, I need a really correct horse. A horse that's kneed in or knees out or over at the knees is certainly gonna be prone to a lot more joint problems over time and soft tissue problems. Not that he wouldn't be a great athlete, but I'm telling you, you need to be very proactive working with your farrier and the rest of your team on that particular guy. So those are sort of the hallmarks, inflammation, free radicals, degradative enzymes, overuse, and then confirmation of the natural aging processes when we think about the joint wear and tear. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, as a writer, I'm left with a little bit of mild panic every time I hear that list, because, you know, mm -hmm. it's, it's inevitable of source that, that my horse is going to experience at least one of these, if not more. Um, and, and really their insults that they're going to experience eventually. So a common theme that I feel like we keep hearing is inflammation and the positive impact that maintaining really more normal inflammatory pathways in your horse can have on them. Um, there are two main ways, correct me if I'm wrong, that veterinarians tackle joint specific inflammation. So give us the details on what's in your tool bag there as a veterinarian. So I quickly mentioned ice and rest, which are sometimes overlooked, but a great way to get tissue to stop being angry with itself is to give it a little bit of a break. It doesn't have to be weeks on end, but even a day or two a week can certainly help me out there a little bit. I think we're thinking more pharmaceutical along the roids, uh, uh, along the lines rather of non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs like phenylbutazone, uh, banamine, ketophen, Arcwell, those sorts of things that are good at breaking the pain cycle. 
But the more that we learned, I really try to use them as judiciously as I possibly can, because recent research is showing us that these non-steroidals have a very, very negative impact on the horse's very fragile GI system. So I'm much more judicial than I have been in the past. I think the other pharmaceuticals that we talk about are what's called the uh, chondroprotective or slow disease modifying drugs. And that would include Adequan, which is an intramuscular injection to help treat the articular cartilage degradation. And then a product sold as Legend, which is a hyaluronic acid, which is good for dealing with inflammation and sort of the synovial lining of those two. So commonly used, been out there for quite some time. I think at this point, a lot of people really take a multimodal approach. So short-term NSAIDs, maybe use a chondroprotective. We realize that we're always seeking to find new ways to solve problems in veterinary medicine. And equine veterinarians are very nimble to try to find ways to solve these problems. And in comes regenerative medicines, things like the prostrides that are out there, those bone marrow concentrated that we can certainly try, understanding that there are innate healing cells that are in the blood and trying to find systems to filter out those growth factors and anti-inflammatory components and use those either in soft tissue or intraarticularly to help manage. We certainly have a lot more drugs and medications rulings, trying to make sure that horses are on the minimum amount that they need to compete successfully on. So I think these biologics have a, have a, a real place. And I would be surprised if a lot of people in the audience haven't already heard or know a little bit about that. And then on the farther fringes of that remains the stem cell. Still pretty elusive in equine medicine to have a really truly undifferentiated cell. Some cells are going to be an eyelash. Some cells are going to be a hair, you know, a, a kidney cell. Some cells are going to be a hoof cell. The idea with stem cells is we're trying to get them before they've been given an assignment inside of the body, but we're finding that's a little bit trickier than we had originally anticipated, but certainly worth discussing at some point here at Further Like, if you would like. Yeah. I mean, there's just so, there's so much to know and there's a vast opportunity there, especially with the orthobiologics and, you know, PRP and IRAP, and you mentioned ProStride and stem cells in particular, I feel like our, our understanding of them is evolving so rapidly from, you know, what, 15 years ago when they, when they really first were discovered in terms of right. their benefit for the equine body. And I guess it goes back to the idea of, nothing will ever be able to heal the horse's body or the human body for that, for that matter, better than it can heal itself. So it's going to be interesting to see how that, that area of veterinary medicine and human medicine evolves over time. But I appreciate the great synopsis of the pharmaceutical options that are out there and available. And now let's step into our world. <laughs> and that's the world of, um, of advanced nutrition or the combination of diet and nutraceuticals versus pharmaceuticals. And that includes oral joint supplements. So mm -hmm. take us through uh, oral joint supplements and kind of lay the land there for us so we get a good idea of what we're talking about. So I think this was a really natural bridging that you probably didn't realize. And one of the things that I was gonna say about stem cells is what we're really truly learning about stem cells is not, is the cell signaling. Everything is in the communication that the cells are having with other cells in the body. And when we think about nutrition, 
we are thinking about cell signaling. We are thinking about using antioxidants, vitamin Cs, all these different components because these nutrients have cell communication with cells that are struggling to overcome some of those inflammatory paths that we just talked about. We know that oral joint supplements work a little bit differently than protect the joint injections. Those might be a little faster. Again, as much as I'm starting to use a lot less NSAIDs in our practice, we're also cutting back on the amount of corticosteroids that we're utilizing because we're really understanding that we're not having an impactful way. I'm taking a fire to a smolder, but I still have a smolder. And if I'm using a nutritional component, I'm taking that smolder and I'm putting out that fire completely because I'm able to address so many different things. We know when there's a combination of things that there's a synergistic effect that we can have. So each has a slightly different mechanism of action, but complement each other well to support, like I said, trace minerals, antioxidants, vitamin E's, omegas. We're trying to maintain healthy levels of inflammation and trying to have a profound influence on that degradative process. So they all are there to promote joint health and oral supplements provide the nutritional building blocks to help that bodybuilding and maintain healthy cartilage synovial membrane, as well as those synovial fluids. Absolutely. And, you know, let's, let's kind of take one step deeper where we look at perhaps those five main causes of joint disease. And let's talk about some of these ingredients or nutrients that we're, that we're referencing and how they may impact those five main areas. Excellent. Because I think it's fine to list out those five, but when you have a solution for that and you understand how this nutritional component ties in, I think people have an aha moment. When I'm addressing inflammation and I've got an ingredient like an omega-3 fatty acid that is known to help stabilize the cell membrane and keep that cell as efficiently as possible in its meeting its metabolic needs. I know when I have glucosamine, which is a big component inside of the cartilage, when I have scientifically researched avocado soy, unsphonopiable, acetylmeristoliate, which helps block one of the inflammatory cascades, and herbs such as boswellia and those antioxidants, each one of those is addressing inflammation in a very unique cascade which each different part of the body needing what it needs to pull in at a particular time. Those excessive free radicals that I talked about, oxygen with its two unpaired, uh, unpaired electrons, trolling around, looking to steal those. Well, what we do with antioxidants is we find ways to give those um, two electrons a satisfactory way. We get them to settle down so that they're not vibrating, right? A cell that is looking for another electron is very actively in the body vibrating about. We can stabilize those by utilizing antioxidants to have those effects of those free radicals. We know the degradative enzymes that I talked about, almost like a little bit of a detergent inside of the joint, that omega-3 fatty acids there are also very good at helping express that enzyme level. And the glucosamine is a really important building block for those components. We know that when we utilize silicon, there's a bioavailable form of silicon that we use called zeolite, which is really good at overcoming overuse and injury, especially of bone and especially of soft tissue. Again, 
Avocado, soy, unsulfonifiable, maintains that cartilage. We have something called methane. It's a crystallized version of DMSO. Also very good at stabilizing those free radicals that are looking to create so much havoc inside of the joint. We know that MSM also contains sulfur. And we know that in the cartilage, we have chondroitin sulfate and keratin sulfate. They need sulfur to help them reproduce and create that proteoglycan complex. And then lastly, that natural aging process. You know, you just cannot say enough about how much great research there is about these omega fatty acids and their ability to support normal inflammatory levels and the offset of the antioxidants in the same component. It just is a really one, two, three, four, five punch that you're getting onto those components that we outlined earlier. Excellent, Tori. Oh my goodness. Um, I feel like I'm learning a ton, especially around those five main causes of, of joint disease, which are all incredibly critical in their own right. And together, like I said, as a, as a horse owner and rider, it gives you a little bit of a mild panic. Um, but it is also, as you mentioned, nice to know that while each of these is so prolific, there is something we can do to support them. Um, but let's, let's now go a step further and break this down, uh, into how these nutrients work in a horse's joint further. So how about we start with glycosaminoglycans long name, which is often shortened to gags, which yep. is real attractive, right? Um, it may be a weird name, but gags are crucial to joint function. Can you tell us why? Yep. So glycosaminoglycans is a big, huge mouthful. And what I tell my horse owners, if you see gag, think big fat repeating sugar. Gags are just big fat sugars that live inside of the joint environment. And they are absolutely essential to that hyperhydrated gel that I talked about. And they look a lot like a, I use a hairbrush because most people don't know what a television antenna looks like anymore. But anyway, <laughs> so they kind of look like a hairbrush. And there are these long kind of stickules that come out. And what happens is when you load the cartilage and you load those gags, those big fat repeating sugars, that compression happens. There's quite a bit of water in healthy cartilage. We get a really nice compression, let's say inside of that knee. But when we lift that load off, earlier I had said that that tissue wants to rebound and recoil outward. And the thing that makes that do that is sulfur. Sulfur has a negative charge. Negative does not want to be near negative. So they spring away from each other and the water gets drawn back in. And then the horse loads the knee, it squishes out, he lifts the knee, it comes back in. So that glucosamine, that sulfur is creating this beautiful pumping action. When I first get up in the morning, I'm a little sore, I'm a little slow, I'm a little lame. After about 10 or 15 steps, I warm up out of it. Same with a horse. When he comes out and he walks a couple of times around the ring, he's actually warming up his cartilage through that great pumping action that that glucosamine can provide for us. It's highly polar, polar. it likes to attract water, and it makes them critically useful as a lubricant as well as a shock absorber inside of the body. So definitely amazing a building block. Yep. 
Okay. Now, you know, I, one of my personal favorites in terms of ingredients, because I think it's so incredible is hyaluronic acid or HA. So, um, if you can take us through HA, I think it's a really important component of, you know, we work with it a lot in platinum performance CJ, but it does so many incredible things and is related to glycosaminoglycans. So if you can take us through that, Tori. It is related to the glycosaminoglycan because part that I just talked about was the hairbrush, right? All the little uh, twigs kind of coming off, but the center or the, or the handle of that hairbrush is hyaluronic acid. HA is the non-sulfated gag. So hyaluronic acid is a big fat repeating sugar. He just doesn't have a sulfur because he's the backbone that that glucosamine hangs onto to create these big, long, beautiful strands. So we know that it's a major contributor to the synovial fluid lubricating benefits. And when we get that nice lubricating, we reduce friction between where those long bones are. I also mentioned earlier that there's a number of published researches that is out there from some very credible veterinary practices that said that oral supplementation with hyaluronic acid has a profound benefit on particular joints in the horse. So it is often used to support existing joint conditions, or as I said earlier, trying to get into that really proactive, preventative mode to try to stop that degradation from even getting underway. Absolutely. And I'm so glad you brought that up because I feel like it's been a misconception for eons that we've, we've all heard it, that oral hyaluronic acid is an absorbable or it is an effective when now, thanks to this research you mentioned, we know that that's not the case. Uh, the right form of oral hyaluronic acid is in fact, both absorbable and goes to work in the equine joint. And, you know, moving on, I really want to go back to, you've touched on the sulfur quite a bit, but I want to go back to MSM or methyl sulfonylmethane. Mm -hmm. and just dig a little bit deeper into the impact that that nutrient has on the joint. So we know that the MSM is a bioavailable form of sulfur that the horse is able to absorb. And as I mentioned, sulfur is a major player in the joint tissue structural integrity. So sulfur being part of that glycosaminoglycan, except for the HA, Animal studies over the years have shown MSM to be profoundly beneficial to both healthy skin, coat, and hoof quality. And it can certainly support against unhealthy levels of inflammation as well as oxidative stress inside of the horse. Amazing. And you know, there's, there's two more that I want to touch on. So thank you for your patience and taking us through this in such great detail, but it's so important. You know, there's a lot of horse owners, um, most of us out there that feed a joint supplement because slick marketing tells you it works. <laughs> and the most important thing, you know, especially coming from a marketer, I can, I can, attest to the fact that the most important thing is, you know, exactly what is on the label, what is in the bucket and why, you know, why it works and making sure that the ingredients are in the right form to be having an effect on your horse. So I think it's so important to actually understand what each of these is doing and the mechanism within the joint and within the body. And we've got, you know, two more in terms of what I would consider some really important joint ingredients. Next up would be acetylmeristoliate, another name that just rolls right off the tongue. <laughs> Um, and it's, it's a big one to pronounce, but it can also be such a pillar in joint support. Why is that? You know, these products were not chose at random. It wasn't, you know, these were well thought out, well researched, well documented, 
There was some very nice work that was done about 15 years ago in acetylmere stoliate in this one particular group of uh, mice that never got any joint disease whatsoever. And they, they found out that those rats were able to make this acetylmere stoliate different than any other rats. And then when they added those to other rats, those rats no longer got joint degradation. So this is something that has become very widely utilized and it helps to block what's called the cyclooxygenase and the lycooxygenase pathway in a very unique way. So it has a profound benefit there. I think the last one that you're gonna go after is the avocado soy unsaphonifiable. You're stealing my thunder, Tori. Yeah. <laughs> well, the reason we hide that one in such high regard is that one of the major um, uh, uh, equine universities that spends a lot of time in the joint environment had done some beautiful work with ASU back in the day, showing that this has really a profound effect. It is well-researched, it is well-documented, it is an unsaphonifiable, which is sort of like a soap, sort of, if you will, that goes through this unique process. And we have uh, a unique business relationship where we're allowed to utilize this. You do not find this off the shelf anywhere else. So it's newer in the game-changing ingredient in the oral categories. It's a natural vegetable extract, excuse me, from avocado and soybeans. And it's classified, as I said, as an unsaphonifiable liquid. And the work that was done is both promoting cartilage building as well as it was able to slow down the breakdown of the cartilage. So that's very unique. Here you have something that has building potential as well as anti-breaking down potential really, really very unique. And like I said, it has been demonstrated in studies and has gotten to peer reviewed journals. So very privileged for platinum to be able to have that. Absolutely. And as Tori mentioned, you know, it's this avocado soy unsaponifiable or this unsaponifiable lipid. Um, it's unique in platinum CJ because it really is the only formula of its kind to include ASU along with ingredients like omega-3 fatty acids, antioxidants, vitamins, minerals, you know, and really this whole horse approach to health and performance and joint support. So, you know, and with everything we've learned about the equine joint, Platinum CJ, it was really the product of all this knowledge, especially the thinking that had evolved in how veterinarians really looked and saw the horse. It used to be um, and Tori step of, if I'm misspeaking, but it used to be that each area of the horse, the skin, the gut, the hooves, the joints, what have you, they were all looked at individually. So treated individually and treated when a condition or an injury would arise. And now we've seen sort of a complete 180 in the way that veterinary medicine sees the horse. And it's now seen as this, this interconnected group of systems that works together synergistically and it influences each other. And so in other words, the joint isn't a standalone, it's not an island and its function and its health can be so tied to the function and the health of the rest of the body. So that inflammatory state of the horse, the health of its cells, et cetera. Um, and this is why CJ, go ahead, Tori. Yes, I couldn't agree with you more. We are now realizing that the, that the, the, the GI of the horse and the system that's happens inside of there is as equally responsible for what's going on in the joint. 
If you would have told me 15 years ago what was happening in the GI is profoundly affecting this joint that I'm trying to treat, but boy, we have come a long, long way, and we are understanding how these systems are interconnected and how to really have a profound influence by treating this whole horse process. It's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we really, we advocate that proactive approach with diet and advanced nutrition is really this, this heavy hitting one, two punch for the horse as a whole, and also for the joints and the soft tissue in particular, um, are there injuries and joint disease? You know, there, there's always going to be, they're always going to be a factor. Injuries and disease are always going to be a factor. And, you know, I, I laugh, a veterinarian friend of mine always says, oh my gosh, you know, find a horse and I'll show you an animal that will always find a way to hurt itself in some way. <laughs> but, you know, there's a two-pronged approach. And first, um, you know, the idea is let's do what we can to give the horse's body and its joints the tools that they need for optimal health and function you know, in a preventive approach. And second, let's support these joint concerns and these injuries as they arise and also a rehab scenario when the need arises. So take us through the thinking here, Dr. Maxwell, starting with this proactive approach and kind of coming around to how we can support the joint as a complementary therapy in veterinary practice. You know, I think when you start supplementing for joint health, depending on whether you wanna have a preventative approach, a maintenance approach, or if there currently is a health problem that you're trying to address, using joint supplements in a proactive way is the most efficient way to get it done. We wanna support that normal inflammatory cascade within the joint. We wanna support normal, healthy cartilage, help the production of synovial fluid and influence the generation of joints. The proactive way, in my opinion, is the best and believe it or not jesse it is the most cost efficient way to get this done the earlier that you start with this the longer that you wait the bigger it is to solve these problems i'm really a problem solver when i go out to look at people's horses and i'm asked to do a lameness exam the earlier that i catch these the more cost efficient they are the further on down the lane we get into very expensive diagnostic imaging. We get into expensive choices about what we have to do. We may even be forced to make some surgical decisions in order to get those horses back to their job. Where if they would have had a proactive way and invested in the front end of that cartilage. Sometimes I use the analogy to maybe a father is trying to understand why I'm trying to get his daughter's horse involved in something like CJ. And I said, if you took the best NFL quarterback that you could, and you knew in high school that you wanted to save that guy's knees, you would have done it. You are investing in a long-term sporting career for this horse. And that takes on a very early approach. The more you understand the way the cartilage is destroyed through the five mechanisms that we just talked about and the way that you can counter one, two punch, I could certainly use an Ataquan and a legend, but I'm only addressing the part of the joint that is struggling. I'm not addressing all those other joints that are happening inside of the system. I'm not influencing musculoskeletal, cardiac, respiratory, skin, hoof, GI. If I'm thinking of proactive, I'm thinking about the whole horse being included into this. A horse isn't just a bunch of joints hanging about. He's a whole horse that I want to keep those joints as optimally functioning as I possibly can. 
Yeah. I love that. And I love that you brought up the the NFL quarterbacks, because I feel like what a lot of people actually don't know about platinum is that we have had our human formulas as long as we've had our equine formulas. And we actually do work with quite a few NFL players that happen to be (laughs) near the size of horses. So we (laughs) have some experience there with those big boys. Uh, uh, Dr. Maxwell, this has been incredible. And I feel like I have learned, I've learned a 10 from you per usual. Um, And I certainly hope that our listeners have soaked up as much as I have. And when you break down the impact that advanced nutrition can have, it always amazes me really that although the ingredients have humongous names and you have to clap out the syllables, Uh actually, actually applying them in your own horses and your own program, it's pretty simple. And I think simple is a key word. Um, and it goes with the diet aspect of this, which is not to be forgotten Mm -hmm. as well. So a Mm -hmm. simple forage based diet, you know, that the horse evolved on, um, paired with a formula like platinum performance CJ, it's simple to feed. Although there's some really complex things going on inside that bucket, as we just learned, Um, it's it's a simple concept in terms of what it's doing to support the horse. Yeah, if I can get away from those heavy laden grain diets, better forage. I'm over in the Northeast and I've got good grass. Grass is coming up right now. I really want to cut out a lot of those grains, keep up all those nutrients that we've just outlined. I think the other thing that I know that happens in the platinum is, you know, veterinary formulated. There was a veterinarian that realized that every problem that he came through the door at his clinic He found a nutritional way to address that, to try to get off that pharmaceutical train and address the whole horse. The other fork in this is that the quality is a major factor when it comes to joint supplements. You can't just feed any old thing off the shelf and expect to have the profound effects that you're asking these cell signaling pathways to go through. The quality has to be there. The quantity has to be there. The freshness has to be there in order for these cells to adjust and alter to the changes that we're trying to drive them into a state of health. That's really what we're trying to do is tap into the body's innate ability to want to repair itself as efficiently as we possibly can. So thank you so much for the chance to speak today. It was a really great conversation, Jesse. Oh my gosh, Dr. Maxwell, the the thanks goes to you. And I feel like we've come such a long way in our understanding of, of a horse's joints and the tendons and ligaments and cartilage that play such a big role in that. And on behalf of myself and also Dr. Maxwell and our team that, that stands behind us at Platinum Performance, we want to thank you for joining us here on the It Starts Within podcast. And we'll look forward to you tuning in next time. I hope you enjoyed what you heard here today. Take care.